morning, Fellowship Fable. How are we? Good. Hey, real quick, by a show of hands, who's traveling for Christmas this year? That's exciting. Two years ago, we couldn't travel at all. It's just exciting. Oh, welcome. My name is David. Um, I'm one of the leaders here, and if this is your first week with us in a while or uh, first time ever, you've caught us in the middle of what we call our Advent series, and Advent just means coming. And so for the last four weeks, we've been looking at the coming of, of Christ through the lens of different characters from Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Um, and this morning, we get to see, we get to celebrate the birth of our, of our Savior, Jesus. And later on in our service, we're going to light the candle of love. And as I was thinking about the term love, um, in our world, that, that gets thrown out a lot in a lot of different ways. But the biblical understanding of love is always self-sacrificing for the benefit of somebody else. It's never self-raising or self-exalting. It's always self-sacrificing for the benefit of someone else. And I think the, the first John chapter four nails it. And so I want us to read this together. If you will, would you stand with me? As we begin our time, as, as we turn our attention, as we sing, our, as we lift our voices to our Creator God, I want us to read a biblical definition of what love is to start our morning off in the right way. So let's read this out loud together, every voice. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also to love one another. The love of God, it consumes us and it pours out to others. So this morning, I want to encourage you to lift your voices and sing out with us. Let's sing this together. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumph. Oh, Oh 
attention to these words this morning. Child for us sinners, poor and in a manger, fain we embrace thee with awe and love. was translated in the early 1800s. And it's one of those that we've sang for so long and it's so easy in familiarity to just sing these words and not think about what they mean. And the chorus, Gloria in excelsis Deo, is a translation from Latin that just means glory to God in the highest. And these were actual words that were sung when the angel announced um, to the shepherds that Jesus Christ is born. So we have an opportunity this morning to celebrate that. And while we're singing it, give glory to God, give thanks to God for the awesome news that Jesus Christ is born. So let's sing this together as a body. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the place and the mountains in reply. Echoing their joy strains.
Well, good morning, fellowship. Welcome. So glad to have you all with us this morning. Can you believe it's Christmas week? Got here so quickly. I also want to say welcome to those of you joining us on the live stream. If you're joining us online, I wish you could be here with us just to feel the energy in the room this morning as we're preparing to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Hey, if you're new, if it's your first time to worship with us, we're so glad you're here. You can pull out your phone and uh, snap that QR code with your phone and it'll take you to a little form. You can let us know you were here. We'd love to follow up with you and, and answer any questions you might have about fellowship. Well, Christmas week means it's almost the end of the year. And it's so hard to think past next weekend, and yet we know when we come back the next Sunday, um, it's going to be 22. And so I wanted to give you a heads up on some things that are going to start right out of the gate. One is our women's ministry, and you can hit the QR code that'll take you to the women's ministry page. They've got some great studies planned for Tuesday morning, Tuesday night. They also have groups that meet during the week, and so hit that QR code, get the information. Ladies, we'd love to have you be part of that. And I'm also excited about Discover, and so if you've if you're fairly new to the church, or maybe you've been around for a little while, but you've never taken the step of joining fellowship or taken that step of being a part of Discover Fellowship to find out what's going on and, and why we do some of the things we do, again, you can hit that QR code, get signed up for that. We'd love to have you join us as we have a session of Discover Fellowship in January of 22. Well, Friday, Christmas Eve, Kids will be going to bed early so they can get up early, right, kids? And we're going to gather in this room at 2, 3.30, and 5 for our family Christmas Eve celebration. It'll be very similar. Those of you that have been around for, for a while, it'll be similar to what we've done in years past where we're going to celebrate the birth of the Savior. And then at 7, our CR team is going to do a Celebrate Recovery service, but it will have a Christmas theme that night. And so I want to encourage you, if you're going to be in town, plan to join us for one of those. Invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers. If you have family coming in from out of town, bring them. It's going to be a great opportunity to just gather and remember why we're having this big celebration this time of year, the birth of our Savior. Well, when we gathered here last Sunday, I don't know about y'all, but I, at that time, did not really appreciate or understand the severity of that tornado outbreak we had last weekend. And as the week unfolded, as we saw the images, just heartbreaking and a lot of people dealing with loss. I know most of you, just like Lee and I, we've been praying for those families. I wanted you to know this is why we have our disaster relief fund at Fellowship. And so Fellowship has already partnered with a church in Monette, Arkansas, where the nursing home was destroyed. And we're sending resources to that church to reach out into the local community. And so I just wanted to say thank you to all of you for your generosity. Yeah, it's, it's good that our church has the flexibility to be able to respond in the moment rather than having to make an appeal beforehand. So thank you for that. All right, kids. Come on up. Y'all are in for a treat this morning. We talk all the time in here about all the incredible things that are happening in our Fayette Kids ministry. We have an incredible team. We have incredible servants who work down there week in and week out with some of our great kids. And this morning, they're going to bring what they do down there in here to y'all as they're going to lead us in worshiping and celebrating. We're in for a treat. So kids, glad y'all are here. Let's worship together. This is really exciting. Um, <clears throat> I've said this before, but me and my wife are, are expecting our first pretty soon. And uh, even just being with these kids on Tuesday night in rehearsals and this morning, 
just makes that even, even sweeter. And so this morning, we get to sing together. We get the visual reminder that the body of Christ is not just one age, but it's all ages. And we're reminded over and over again that generation to generation proclaim the works of our Lord. And so this first song we're going to sing this morning, it's a familiar one. I want you to stand with us, and I want you to sing it with us, sing it with the choir. Kids, go ahead and lead us out this morning. Find my joy. Here we go. Find my joy in the Lord. He is my hope. He is my shelter in this world. And I will see all he's done. He slayed my sin. He healed my heart. He has my love. Even when I walk through the valley, he is with me. He is with me. Fall in the battle, there's victory. There is victory. Here we go, everybody. Oh, what joy! The war is over. The King has come to set us free. As we wait for his return, shout and sing for my joy in the Lord. He is my rock. He is my song. And I will live. Bring him praise. His great love I will rejoice for all my
this next song is going to be a little unfamiliar for y'all, but I want you to sing it once you catch on. It comes straight out of Isaiah chapter 9. It's for unto us a child is born. So once you catch on, sing it with us. Take a seat.
you guys pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this morning and just the beauty of getting to sing with the family of God. Thanks for these kids and the way that you've used them to lead us in worship this morning. Would you help us all have that sense of worship about you? And as we look at your word, would you teach us to have a deeper appreciation for your love for us? Amen. Thanks, kids. That was awesome. Hey, my name's Tad. I get to serve here on staff with the student ministry team. Uh, and before we get started, I just wanna say thank you. This uh, past Wednesday night, we got to do our end of the semester FSM Christmas party. Uh, we, we met here, uh, there was fun, there was pizza, there was Christmas decorations, but we'd asked the kids to bring uh, donations uh, to help create uh, go bags to give to New Beginnings to distribute to those in our community experiencing homelessness. Uh, if you haven't heard of New Beginnings, check them out. They're doing really awesome work in our community. Uh, but our students really um, just surpassed my expectations with the amount of things that they brought to donate and their excitement to serve. And I know that most of you parents were the ones that probably bought those things. So thank you. Uh, and just partnering with you and, and raising up the next generation is such a joy. Uh, and so on behalf of my team, thank you. You helped us cast vision to our students that as followers of Jesus, we wanna serve our community. So uh, thank you. Working with students has in some ways made me um, stay young and, and feel uh, youthful. I'm only 28, so I'm not like super old, but I'm starting to rapidly approach 30, you know? And so in some ways it's kept me young. In other ways, it makes me feel super old already. I'm as lost on a lot of the lingo and the TikTok stuff as you parents. I don't get it, uh, but I love it. I think kids are so fun. Uh, but again, as I've been getting closer to 30 and I've been reflecting on this past decade of adulting, uh, there's so many fun things you learn, right? Uh, like that your tires wear out and you have to replace those and your mom and dad don't do that anymore. Uh, or that the water hose needs to be disconnected in the wintertime or it'll burst your pipes. I hope a lot of you did that last night because it got really stinking cold. Uh, we moved into a house, uh, my wife and I, that it's, it's an older house that has a crawl space and I'm so thankful one of my neighbors came over one day while I was doing some yard work and he's like, hey, Tad, um, I don't know if you know this, but when it gets cold, you're supposed to close those vents to contain the heat, but don't forget to open them in the spring or else you'll get mold. And I was like, I had no idea what those little flaps were for, and I learned that, and now I know. There's so many things you learn in your 20s as you're adulting, uh, but something that has still not set in has been like almost 10 years, and it catches me off guard every single year, and it just rattles me. Tax day. I've never gotten used to it. It catches up on me like every single year. Um, you older believers in the room, my gray-haired friends, do you get used to it? Does it, does it ever not take you by surprise? Because it happens one time a year in like March and then I was surprised again this year that there's another one in October. Uh, the prop, personal property taxes, I didn't know that. I forgot, again, even though I drove by a billboard every day that said don't forget to pay your property taxes by October 15th. And it dawned on me like November 5th. So there's that. And I get it. I know, like, don't, don't hear that as like me dogging on taxes. We live in a society. We contribute to the goods and services we all share. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that there's something about tax day that always feels really inconvenient. And it always kind of rattles my sense of comfort. It's a yearly reminder that I'm not as in control of the things that I have that I think I am, uh, that I'm responsible to others. Um, that, that somebody else can, can ask me to do something and I have to do it. 
It's never convenient. And it's into that sort of uh, inconvenient tax day world that we find Mary and Joseph at the beginning of Luke chapter two. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're gonna look through this uh, and consider uh, just the inconvenience of what they had to do uh, because Caesar said it was tax day. If you have your Bible, find me in Luke chapter two or I've got the verses here on the screen. Uh, We'll read this together. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Most historians believe that the reason he did that was so that he could tax the empire. So Caesar says, pay up. Uh, Luke historically locates this. He says, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their town to register. So also Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Caesar says, it's tax day, pay up. And because thousands of miles away, he says so, and he's in charge, because at this time Rome is ruling, Joseph and Mary have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. For context, uh, if we see on a map, that's uh, over here, you kind of see, if you're not familiar with the map, I wish I had a pointer. Uh, They had to travel about 97 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem here, all because a man about 2,500 miles away in Italy said so. That would be like walking from here to Joplin just to pay your taxes. That would be upsetting and really inconvenient. Now add to that, your fiance, Mary, is like nine months pregnant. That would be so upsetting and so inconvenient for them. And I would love to know what Joseph was thinking during that time. And I've kind of just been trying to put myself uh, in his mindset. If we think about it, Joseph, it it points out in the passage that he belonged to the house in line of David. If you read about the history of Israel, that's the kingly line of Israel. That's David's line, to whom God promised that a coming Messiah king would come, who would not just be the promised Messiah of Israel, but really the true king of the entire world. And David knows that that's this promised child that Mary's carrying. But they're currently not the royal family, even though he's in David's line. He's a conquered people. Uh, And just another province in the great Roman Empire is this Judean province, and he has to go pay up. So what do you think were his opinions about Caesar? What do you think he thought about this great emperor of Rome as he's trudging along from Nazareth to Bethlehem, watching Mary struggle. What were his political opinions at the time, I wonder, of the Roman Empire and how personal that felt for him as someone who could trace their lineage back of, I should be a part of a royal family. Let's think about Caesar, though, for a second. Caesar, uh, Augustus, he was the heir of Julius Caesar. Maybe you've read about that in, in, in school or you remember having to read Shakespeare play Julius Caesar. Julius was reigning, but he was overthrown by the assassins. Uh, and yet Augustus raises up with the help of Mark Antony to defeat the assassins and he establishes his throne by might and power by the sword. And he expands the Roman Empire, uh, even goes on to one day fight with Mark Antony who once helped him to expand the provinces even into Egypt. Uh, he uses strength to establish the Roman Empire. He prints his face on the coins of the empire. The ultimate gesture of all the money in the land ultimately belongs to me. It's mine. 
to pay up. Uh, he, but he is known for being a great administrative leader. He instituted these tax systems across the Roman Empire to fund the expansion projects. But he took it even a step further. He deified Julius, his predecessor, said he is one of the gods. And so me as his heir, I am a son of the gods. And he builds a temple to Caesar. And all the people in the land have to worship the empire because Caesar has made himself out to be a god. So again, what do you think Joseph's thinking as he's walking these 97 miles to Bethlehem? How dare he? Doesn't he know who we are? Doesn't he know what God has asked us to do? Doesn't he know who this child is gonna be? Who does this man think he is making himself out to be a God? And we can hate on Caesar. We can judge him. But in reality, you and I probably have a lot more in common with Caesar in this passage than we do with Mary and Joseph. We're all a bunch of little Caesars. And I don't mean the pizza place. <laughs> Think about it with me. Reflect on this. We're no different. We all want to, none of us are building an empire the size of Rome, let's be clear. But we all would love to build our own personal empire. Maybe we even use that language. We use the same strategies. We're not swinging swords anymore, but we use power and put off false senses of strength, posture ourselves to get promotion, to manipulate people who we're stronger than. We collect and hoard possessions and wealth, thinking that if we could buy the right things, we'd be content enough or we would look impressive to other people, that we would be protected whenever emergencies came along, that we would have the resources to save ourselves. We don't build marble statues of ourselves. But how many of us doctor up photos before we put them online and present ourselves to the world to receive admiration or likes or worshipers or, or bounce from different romantic affairs, trying to find someone who will worship us or give us the type of love that we think we deserve. We do this because we're a lot like Caesar. I think we ultimately do this because we long for a sense of security and a sense of significance. We wanna know that we're safe and protected. And we wanna know that we matter to somebody, that somebody cares about us, that we belong, that we have importance, that we matter, and our existence isn't just a waste. And those are good things to desire, right? It's not wrong to wanna be safe. It's not wrong to want to be loved. Those are good longings, but maybe we've been fooled into thinking that those are the way we achieve them. That power and possessions, popularity will give us this sense of security and significance, but think about it. It doesn't last. And the scriptures actually shed light on this when we read the story in the Old Testament of how God created human beings in his image and he placed them in the Garden of Eden and he gave them this incredible test. He provided all the food that they could need. He gave them their sense of security. He provided for them. He gave them significance because he created them in his image and said, I want you to extend my blessing out into all creation. Take my creativity, my love, my blessing out into the ends of the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. And he sets before them the tree of life, have access to eternal life with God. And yet he also set before them a choice the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
that right to determine what is right and wrong on my own terms. But he told them, don't eat of this tree. It will not be good for you. Instead, come to me and I will give you your sense of right and wrong. Come to me for truth. Come to me for your wisdom. Trust me. I've provided for you. I've given you purpose. But Adam and Eve were deceived. And we read in Genesis chapter three uh, that the serpent comes and he begins to tempt them saying, God's holding out on you. You won't die if you eat of this tree, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God's. This is the source of all of our griefs, all of our problems. This is the problem of sin that we all face. Because think about it. This is how this doesn't work out for us. If I claim the right for myself, if I've taken that right to determine right and wrong on my terms and make myself out to be a God and you have done the same, what happens when we disagree? Who's gonna win that fight? The person with the most power? The person with the most wealth? The person with the greatest following? The one who can build their biggest empire? It leads to so many problems, but personally, in our relationships with friends, family, but also we see it on a global level, wars that are fought over this. The way we take resources and hoard them out of greed and cause damage all throughout the world. We could summarize it like this, that in our desire to become gods, humans have made a mess of the world. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that it's working and we are really great at self-deception and convincing ourselves, I'm strong enough, I've got enough, people love me, look how incredible I am. But it doesn't last because tax day's always coming or something like that that's a great reminder. Hey, actually, somebody else is a bigger God than you. Somebody else has more power, more possessions, more popularity. You're not as important as you think you are. And that fighting back and forth, that cycle that goes on and on of us convincing ourselves that we are gods and yet then creating messes all around us and ultimately realizing we can't do it. It cycles and cycles. We've made a mess of the world in our sin. Y'all are like, this is depressing. It's Christmas. What are we doing? Let's turn the corner. It gets better. How do we escape this problem? Uh, read with me and continue our passage in Luke chapter two. While they were there, and I love that phrase, just to pause. While they were there, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this tax day world, in the midst of the oppressive Roman regime, and in the midst of, of the, the inconvenience of having to travel all this way with a pregnant wife, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, which is a food trough for animals because there was no guest room available for them. We've already been clued in on who this child is, that this is the promised Messiah of Israel, the true king of the whole world that would bring justice and peace to creation, save God's people from their sin. The true king of the world, but notice, if you will, the contrast between uh, that emperor far away in Rome the way that this Caesar ruled. Notice the contrast between him and this newborn king. This child doesn't come in strength. He's an infant. 
He's vulnerable. He doesn't come with wealth. He's born in basically a shed. There was no room for them because they were probably moving so slow because Mary's very pregnant. They get their last. And you'd think somebody would give up a bed for a pregnant woman. But you wonder if rumors had already trickled all the way back down to Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph haven't gotten married yet. She's pregnant. Isn't it crazy? They say it's because an angel showed up and told them that they're pregnant with the Messiah. They're crazy. Don't give them a bed. Moving on, it doesn't come in renown because of that. From the outset of his life, he's rejected and being born. Maybe somebody in their pity said, I've got a shed where my animals stay in my house. You could stay there. We'll pile up some straw. I'll bring some blankets out. That's the best I can do. Doesn't come in strength, doesn't come in power, doesn't come in renown. He humbles himself. It's a very different kind of king that's emerged into the world. And Paul would later reflect on this kind of king uh, in his letter to the Philippians. Uh, He says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. It's a very different kind of king. And consider again that wild contrast that's being made here in this short set of verses in Luke chapter two. While an emperor thousands of miles away is pretending to be God, the true God is becoming a humble man, a humble baby with no crib. He would grow up and initiate his kingdom in a radically different way than the Caesars of the world. Rather than sending out men and women to sacrifice themselves on the battlefield to extend his empire, this king would sacrifice himself for his people. Rather than printing his face on coinage and demanding the wealth of the world, he would look at humanity and say, you actually bear my image. You are my treasure. Rather than building statues to himself and temples to be worshiped in, he would go about building up the outcast, the poor, the sinner. What an incredible contrast that upsets the way we view the world. And what if we would let that transform the way we viewed the world? And that instead of seeking our security and significance through power and possessions and popularity, that we would recognize that the source of our security and significance has already been established. And it was laid in that manger. It's in Jesus. What if we let that shift our thinking of the world? And again, I can't marvel enough as I've been studying this passage and what was a familiar passage and then just talking about it with the team here and seeing it's shocking that God has so flipped the script that in our desire to become God's humans have made a mess of the world, but in his desire to make a world out of the mess, to put all the pieces back together, God became a man. Can I ask a deeper question, though? Because this, this blows my mind, and it upsets my sense of reality and the way that I want to go about finding that sense of security for myself and that sense of significance. Why would God do this? 
why on earth wouldn't he just abandon us to our sin and our rebellion and seeing the mess we've made of his creation that he cares about, why wouldn't he just blow us to pieces? I know it's a familiar passage, but I don't think anyone has said it better. It's because he loves us. And don't let the familiarity of this passage rob you of its impact. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That should be our source of significance. That should be our sense of security. It would motivate us to stop our endless fighting with one another and making ourselves out to be God and instead just accept that our creator loves us enough to step into the mess we've made of the world and set it right again. And so, this Advent season, we've already reflected on the hope of God's coming and his arrival. We've already focused and reflected on his, the peace of his coming, reflected on the joy of God's coming. This morning, as we sing these last few songs, would you reflect with me on the love that we experience because God loves us enough to step into that.
Y'all stand with us and let's sing this together.
this season to get caught up in the things that just make us stick in that cycle and just the way that Christmas sometimes gets overshadowed by being consumerist. And so I ask you to take some time of reflection and community with a friend, spouse this week and think through some of these questions. Where in my life am I trying to make myself out to be a God? To show a false sense of strength or build up wealth or seek popularity and approval? And then how is that damaging my relationships with others around me, family, friends, with God? But then to ask, how will I let God's love change that? How will I find my sense of security and significance in the love of Jesus? How can we do that together? We wanna be a people of love. So fellowship, as we leave this place, let's love one another as Christ loved us. We love you. Have a great week. Merry Christmas. There are people in the prayer room who would love to pray with you if you have a need. We hope to see all of you on Christmas Eve.